We're getting back into it. Y'all get your coffee and bring it on in. I got my got my drink right here. Non-alcoholic, okay? Everybody, that's just in here in the auditorium. Uh, so we're in a series called We Love Almoral. Say it with me. We love Almoral. We love Almoral. And if you're not from here, you're wondering how to say Almoral. That's how you say it, Almoral. You pretend there's no B. You pretend there's no E. Almoral, okay? That's how you say it. People that aren't from here don't really understand, but that's, you know, that's okay. Um, people that are from here, sometimes they try to escape. So we get that too. But we love Almoral, and we've got this day camp. I talked about that already. Uh, we're also praying. Uh, every week we have uh, intercessory prayer in this room on Wednesdays at 530 if you want to come and pray over our church and over the community, what's going on with the Hope Fund. And uh, we have great things going on for teenagers and kids every Wednesday night at 630. And we are a church that loves Albemarle. Can you say that with me? We are a church that loves Albemarle. Yeah, I believe you. You said that with some conviction. I appreciate that. Last week, we talked about how Jesus told us to wake up. How Jesus said the harvest is here. There's no need to wait for a harvest. He said the harvest is here. Wake up, look around, Jesus said. And today, we're going to talk about being a church that is known for love. You can be known for a lot of things. Unfortunately, what as a pastor, I'm, I'm finding that I'm being invited to a lot of um, groups and petitions and things to let everybody know what I'm against as a pastor. Um, I haven't signed one yet. Not, not because I'm like love sin or love things, you know, that I shouldn't or any, I, I'm, I'm actually like, I think Jesus was the hardest on sin. I mean, he died and he, he made a way for every single one of us who struggles with sin and who has sinned before. If you've not sinned before, can I see your hand? Exactly. What the love of Jesus is what we're known for. I was in a church recently, St. Martin of the Fields in London. I was speaking with the, with the vicar there. His name's Sam Wells. And, and he was explaining their, um, what they do as a church and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I was sitting in the seat and I saw this offering envelope. Because every church has offering envelopes, right? Every, every church has one. And I took a picture of this one. And I love how on their giving and on their generosity... They just very clearly said, no matter who, no matter what, we provide opportunity, sanctuary, and support for everyone. No matter who, no matter what, opportunity, sanctuary, that's safety. We're going to be a safe place. And we offer support for everyone. It's a very, very clear mission. We are St. Martin's and this is what we do. Please donate today, you know, every church, every church. Every church never has enough people and enough money. You know why? Because we're trusting Jesus to provide everything, and he always does. But Jesus also provides through his people. We are a church that loves Albemarle. I want to start off with a story. Several years ago when we lived in Baltimore, we uh, lived in a townhouse. If you don't know what a townhouse is, it's a house in a town. <laughs> Dad joke. Father's Day is next week. Don't you dare boo me. I've got a microphone townhouse it was a three-level townhouse and and we we lived in one for like 13 years and I'll, I'll always remember the night that one of the smoke alarm chirping woke me up and on that multi-level townhouse we had smoke alarms on every level three levels of smoke alarms 
and in the middle of the night, it was about 2 a.m., I hear the smoke alarm. And I, I am sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I'm a light sleeper. Anybody else a light sleeper? Like the smallest little thing can wake you up? That can happen to me sometimes. And this night in particular, I was a light sleeper. It was 2 a.m., and it was this noise, this sound that was not loud, but it was loud enough. Just a little tiny beep. And then it would be silent for like 60 seconds where you would start to go back to sleep. And it would happen again. Beep. Anybody ever gone through this hell on earth experience? Yeah. I laid there and I negotiated with myself. I know that sane people don't do this, but I did this. And I said, just try to go to sleep. Ignore it. Ignore it. Beep. Just, just kept happening. So I finally had had enough. I stopped negotiating with myself and I got up. And I went to the smoke alarm on the third floor where our bedroom was at. And I stood under it and I watched it. heard it again Beep. but then I didn't know if it was that one or if it was one downstairs so you know what I did I took it off took the batteries out don't do this this will make your house unsafe if there's smoke but I took the batteries out and I just put it back I waited and I waited Beep. I heard it again I was like must be one downstairs so I go to the second level take the batteries out go to the bottom level take the batteries out go back to bed and I heard it again. <laughs> it happened again. I was like, I took all the batteries out. So then I pull out my phone. I'm like, why is the smoke alarm still doing the thing? And then I'm like, oh, it has a backup battery that's hardwired into the electricity of the house. Why do we have batteries if it's wired into the electricity of the house? I asked Google. And it said, oh, in case your house is on fire and it needs auxiliary power. And I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but it just kept going. Beep. So then I went and got new batteries for each one of them. I couldn't find any. I found like five double A's. I needed six. So I'm looking all around the It's like 40 minutes in at this point. I am, I am, I'm just, I'm up. I find the batteries, put new batteries in all of them, go back to bed. Ten bucks, I bet you can't guess what happened again. Oh, I owe a lot of people money. It beeps again. And I'm, I'm sitting there. Why, my, my beautiful, loving wife is peacefully sleeping like a princess, waiting for her Prince Charming to kiss her awake. My wife doesn't snore. I snore. My kids are sleeping like angels in the other rooms, and I've got this contraption from the pit of hell on my ceiling. Can I tell you something just in the, in, in the ridiculousness of this story? I was bothered to a point where I could not let it go. Nothing was going to be okay in the world until I fixed that problem. Because I was not going to be able to sleep. It was this moment where the irritation and the annoyance level and the outright, I've had enough of this. 
welled up within me. If you remember Pi Pi the Sailor, he used to have a, a, a saying. Some of y'all are like, Pi Pi the Sailor? Like, what's that? Is that a YouTube? Yeah, sure, go look it up. Uh, he would say this, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Some of y'all watched Pi Pi before. This was the moment for me when this annoyance and this irritation, it became a justice issue. Our house will not be okay. Now, here's my question out of all that. Has there ever been something going on in the world around you that annoyed you, irritated you, provoked your heart at an emotional level? And I'm not talking about smoke alarms or the highway drivers that annoy you. I'm talking about some injustice or something in the world that you see, and you see it like nobody else can see, or at least that's how you feel. What happens when, when, when that kind of angst meets something in this world that is wrong? That is when you have the greatest potential to be a part of something powerful for the kingdom of God. When you see an injustice, when you see something that's wrong, when you see like people being held back from knowing about something that can save them, when you find something that just won't let up within it, and my guess is that there are several of us here today that you can pinpoint exactly what it is. Some of us call it our pet peeve. One author calls it our holy discontents. When there is something wrong with the world, wrong with my community, wrong in society, and I've had all I can stand and I can't stand it anymore. What is it about Albemarle that, that, that provokes the heart of God? That is when you have the greatest potential. And our church... The church of Jesus, not, not just our church, but any church. We can grow in numbers. We can have big events that people enjoy. We can have great ministries that minister to people and make other people happy. But that church will lack something great and powerful unless the individuals of that church are living out their faith in big ways. Unless the people that make up that church are responding to the god given promptings of justice and love and peace and harmony or resurrection bringing life where there is only death healing I drew a picture recently this is very very impressive look at this I drew that I know your astonishment keeps you silent you're all amazing you want to like like give a thunderous arousing applause but you're holding back because you're like oh my god it's so beautiful i can't believe he did that but yes alas hold hold your applause please don't applaud jerks no 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 it doesn't count now this this is a timeline of the life of a follower of jesus first thing over on the far left hand side you're born Say born. born. Everybody in this room was born at some time. It's like 
what we do as humans, we're born. And then you live this life. And then, if you're a follower of Jesus, there was this moment when heaven came to earth where you realized the love of Jesus, where the cross of Jesus had an impact in your life, and you decided, I'm following Jesus with my life. There was this conversion moment. And then, after the conversion moment, there's, in each one of these tick marks, they represent years. I don't know how many years, however many years you live. Decades. There's this time before Christ that's represented on the left side. And there's this other period on the right side, which is like, I follow Jesus now, so something in my life changes. Something looks different. It can't stay the same. And then the all done is when you're dead. Because everybody's going to die. Sad to say, we don't like to talk about it. We like to, like, we like to write country songs about it. Vince Gill has made an entire career out of funeral songs. Look it up. Oh, no, he has. I saw him at an event, and that's literally what he said. We come to this place in life, and life here as we know it is over. So I put all done. And I put all done because there's some of you here in this room, you've lived a long life, and you're like, I don't know why Jesus has still got me here. Because there's still things that Jesus has got for you. That's why you're here. There's still tick marks. There's still things to do. And before the cross, I love how the Apostle Paul talks about life with the church in Ephesus. Out of Ephesians 2, and that's where our text is today. Out of Ephesians 2, there's these three sections that he basically talks about the life before conversion. What happens at conversion? And then what's next? And here's what he says in Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is all that period of time before conversion. Here's what he says. Once you were dead, say dead. dead. He starts out saying once you were dead. Because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin. Paul is talking about this period of time where you used to live in sin. So there must be a period of time where I don't live in sin anymore. Will sin still have an effect? Will there still be a presence of sin on this earth? Will it still have an effect on me? Yes, but it does not control and dominate my life. You used to, say used to. You used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil. The devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. So bring up that picture again, please. I want to point this out. Between the, 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 the blue dot of born and the cross of conversion, that's the period of time t Paul is talking about, where we lived in disobedience, where we lived in sin, where, where sin was what we lived in and were controlled by. Then he goes into the next few phrases. This is where the cross comes in, starting in verse 4. Look at this, but God. Say, but God. Now say it like a Pentecostal preacher. But God! Okay, thanks, John. Leave it to a Pentecostal preacher to do it. But God's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. 
For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Gosh, this, this is good stuff. Some of y'all say you're Pentecostal. I don't believe you. Because if you're Pentecostal, you're, you're like, you, you, can't let, you, you can't keep it in. There, there's this period where but God shows up. And, and because God shows up, he gives us life where we once were dead. We said we were born in the beginning, but the Spirit of God shows up. And at conversion, there's this new life that transcends everything before so that it feels like death. Death isn't at the end. It was in the beginning before Christ. You died to sin because of Christ. Thank you, Pentecostals. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples. He can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who were united with Christ Jesus. Now, go back to the picture again. I really want you to capture this. Between born and Christ, dead. Because of Christ, new life. Now, let's talk about everything on the right side of that, where many of you today are living. Where some of you today are saying, I don't know why Jesus just doesn't take me. I don't know why I'm still on this earth. I question my purpose at this point. Everything that he was going to do has already happened. And some of you who have been saved by this God are wondering what's next. This is what's next. Paul gets into it in verses 8 through 10. Look at this with me. God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's a big statement. How did God save you? By his what? By his grace. Grace is when you receive something that you didn't work for. When you receive something that you couldn't get on your own. It would, it would be like a billionaire coming in here and just gifting you with lots and lots of money. You could never make that amount of money in your lifetime. That's what grace is. In this period, before conversion, you were dead because of sin. And what he did was he gave you life by grace, not because you were good enough. Those of you who are find your place, yourself in a church this morning and you say, I better be careful, lightning might strike me. <laughs> it won't. It won't, because the grace of God has called you, reaches you, it's for you. And it's not because you finally got things right, it's because he set things right. Next, next line here, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so nobody can boast about it. You know what, I'm just going to say it, and I might get some hate mail for this, but that's okay. Um, there's a lot of folks who follow Jesus that think it's their job and their duty to let everybody know how much sin they're living in and how, how far away from God they're going to stay if they don't just get things right, if they don't like live up to something. And I got to tell you, that undermines grace in our lives. And we get this feeling that unless I do the right things, God won't love me. Here's what happens in the, in the gospel of Jesus. The right thing happens to me, and because of what I'm looking forward to, the rest of my life is changed. It's not because I make a decision that I'm just going to be better than I was before. 
So does it take my decision making? Do I have any? Yes, of course. But we live for Christ, not to avoid hell so much, but because we're so in love with Christ. Because he does what nobody else can do in our lives. He promises, like, I don't understand why anyone would want to live under the power of sin when there is so much freedom. That's a totally different message than you're damned to hell unless you stop doing X, Y, and Z. Totally different reason. Nobody can take credit, for we are God's masterpiece. Now, some of y'all look a bit like a Picasso. For Stanley County, that's abstract art. I love Albemarle. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the what? What are those two words again? We can do what? Good things. Good things. What does what he planned for us long ago? Like he's planned for you to do good things. God has planned for you to do good things. Put the picture back up. What happens on the right side of conversion? He has planned for you to do what? Every year, every moment, every, every month, every year. Everything includes the good things that he planned for you long ago. Why are you still here? Because his plan's not done. There's some good things. I don't know what they are, but my hunch is that he'll reveal that to you. Now, what are those good things that he planned for us long ago? Here, here's the thing. I opened up talking about this, this ridiculous smoke alarm and the annoyance talking about how something that, 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 that God can put in my heart, there's like an injustice or something. When I don't listen to that prompting from God, when I don't act on, on what God shows me in this world, in my church, in my community, I am saying no to the good things that he planned for me long ago. I'm saying no to the good things. When we opt out of those good things, those good works, we opt out of the blessings of the kingdom of God operating in our life. So we are going to be a church that's known for love. You know why? Because we refuse to stay silent in a world where so much is going wrong. When we can operate in the blessings and the good things of God that he's created, we have so much to live for. We have good things to live for. God created things. Light up the dark place kind of things. That's us. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of a Christianity that doesn't focus on these things. This life-giving vision. I'm sick of a Christianity that just takes the news that we've received and twists it into attacks and judgment and fighting against things that seem far removed from what Paul is talking about in these 12 verses. I fully believe this vision of God because I see no example from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in Scripture. I see no example where Paul went to Rome and started blasting the Caesar, Nero, who ended up having Paul killed, by the way. 
Paul didn't lead protests around Nero. He didn't lead protests and, and, and big old groups of people to stand in judgment against the senators or the government or other sinful Romans that were having orgies in the streets with their pagan sex gods. And if it's getting a little too PG-13, we have great child care ministries available for, for your kids. Yes, Paul called out sin in the church. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. Wow, some really impressive sinners were in the church of Jesus during Paul's day. He called those out, but he does it with the heart of a pastor. And he points these churches back to the good things that fill up the rest of their lives, that they were created to do. Oh, God in heaven, keep us focused on the good things. Oh, God in heaven, Don't let us be distracted by the things with which we think we have power over. Oh God in heaven, let me fall more in love with your plan than the one that I want to create on my own. Because it's way too easy for me to try and write the last part of my life out, or actually the beginning of my new life out. I heard heard a pastor say this years and years ago. Nate, if you aren't dead, God ain't done. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says this, So all of us who have had the veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. If you have had enlightening, discovery, message from God, you can see the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into his glorious image. What what do the tick marks after conversion look like? It looks like the glory of the Lord changing how we look, changing how we operate. And there is no faster track to looking like Jesus than servanthood. There's no faster track to looking like Jesus than loving the people that are a part of his kingdom. Anytime we refuse to love someone or accept someone or welcome someone into our church, into our home, we are refusing the church that God is building. But they have different political stances than me, Nate. They are woke. They are this. They are that. They are whatever. There is no faster track to looking like Jesus than servanthood. Jesus, who rather than kill his enemies, who rather than, than, than turn on the guy who betrayed him, picks up a towel and washes feet. If it's your last night before your death, are you ordering a second course of something? Jesus picks up a towel. In fact, there's no faster track to finding satisfaction in your soul than being on the path of servanthood. So how are we going to love Albemarle? We're going to serve. How are we going to love Albemarle? Oh, that was tepid. See, I I could sit here and I could get y'all all excited about healing and miracles. and There is nothing more Pentecostal than serving. I've read the New Testament. There's nothing more Pentecostal than going outside of who I am 
and letting the language of God transform me into loving others who are not like me. That's the most Pentecostal message you can get right there. How are we going to love Albemarle? All right, okay, we'll, we'll get there. I, I need like seven more Sundays where I preach this message. And serving God is fueled by a holy passion. Serving God is fueled by this angst of saying, I've got to do something. I can't just sit by. Some, there's a passion, a firestorm of frustration that, that, that is sparked by something that's terribly wrong, but it's going to take fierce determination to set things right. It's driven by justice. It's driven by the heart of God. A holy passion. Here's, here's what I want you to take away. A holy passion is based on something that is not only wrecking me, but it's wrecking the heart of God first. A holy passion is fueled by something that's wrecking the heart of God and is also wrecking me. Here's some examples. Martin Luther King Jr. could not stand any longer and, and just take Jim Crow segregation laws in this nation. He did something about it. I believe, I believe that he preached with a fire and with a passion. I, I never met the man. I did not grow up in the same era. But I've heard the sermons. I've read the books. I've studied the man. There was something in him that was driving him to a point where it frustrated other Christians even. Mother Teresa could not stand by any longer and allow the poor in Calcutta to be neglected. She had to do something about it. Now these are well-known examples, but I would say that there are those among us who have identified a, a holy passion. Today, Pastor Lily Wilson is in Alaska, one of our own. She's currently there. She can't stop loving people because she's fed up with kids not having a safe place to go, not having a safe person to turn to. She's frustrated in a holy way that health care isn't available to some of the world's most vulnerable people. She was just in South America. Earlier this year, she was with Ukrainian refugees. She's, ta she's taken her retirement years of life and said, I'm going everywhere where people are hurting. Here's, here's, here's her trip into Alaska. I fly, this is her quote, her quote, I will fly with a 12-person team from Raleigh, North Carolina to Seattle, Washington. Big plane. You got to have a big plane to do that. Then from Seattle, we're going to fly to Anchorage, Alaska. That's a big plane. But then I'm going to board a smaller plane from Anchorage to Bethel, Alaska. When I get in Bethel, they're going to put us on a bush plane, six people on a plane. And we're going to Imanac, Alaska. I will travel by a four-wheeler to the Yukon River and then travel by boat for about 40 minutes when I finally get to the camp. It's like she's going from this big jetliner down to feet by the time she comes down to serving where she's stripped of every convenience and modern-day thing, and she finally gets to serve. I thought I saw Bruce here earlier. Bruce, are you still over here somewhere? Oh, Bruce had to go. Where is he? I thought I saw I knew I saw him. He's probably getting coffee. But she's in Alaska right now serving. Earlier this year, another person on our team, Susan Helms, she, she was like, Pastor Nate, we've, we need to have some coffee and lemonade available before and after services. And I'm like, amen, I agree. You know what, there, there were some people, and, and she asked me, she's like, if we, if we let people have coffee, can they bring it into the auditorium? I was like, heck yeah, they can. I'll lead the way. See, here's the thing. It's, it's not that we're so in love with refreshments. 
Although some of us are more in love with that than we should be. It's that we want to be a church where people feel loved and welcome. Where the hospitality matters. And, and this is just a small way to do it. And we're not scared and fearful and nervous of the pink carpet getting stained so much as we are. That people are going to not feel loved by anything that, I mean, we, we want to open up. And you know what? It's like, we're not going to make the pink carpet look worse. Yeah, bring the coffee in here. Kind of nervous laughter there. You know. It's 2023. We can do better than pink carpet. A kids ministry volunteer got up this morning, early this morning, and is currently changing poopy diapers in the nursery because the thought of kids being ignored in our church is disturbing and wrong. The thought of having unacceptable child care or no child care for the nursery and the infants and the little babies bothered that person. A camera operator showed up here early and is making sure that everything looks clean and clear and crisp for the people that are not here today. I'll say it again. There is no faster track to your soul finding satisfaction than that of servanthood. So what is the thing that gnaws away at you? What is the thing that causes you to get up out of bed and do something about it. What's your holy passion? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Maybe you're like, I don't know, I don't know, stop asking me. Let me, let me, let me help you kind of narrow it down. When you look at our, and don't answer me out loud, okay? This is for you to like introspect, think. Maybe write it down. But when you look at our community, when you look at Albemarle, what's one thing that you think should be happening that isn't happening? When you look in our world, when you look at North Carolina, what's the thing that fires you up? What are you passionate about? What can't you stand anymore? What is, what is the pain that you feel and the future that you can see when it comes to bullies in schools or orphans without food or the homeless being ignored or hungry people living in a community where the Christians eat pretty well or when kids are ignored? If your area of dissatisfaction doesn't also reflect an abiding concern for the protection and the development of all people of God, then your frustrated ranting and raving is probably more than a glorified gripe session than a byproduct of God's given holy passion. So I want you to be careful in answering this question. Be careful. Because just bluntly, the worst thing that can happen and the thing that happens far too much is a lack of follow-through on what to do with that passion. It wrecks me to see people and pastors and churches applaud and say they love other people, but their daily life shows no evidence of that love. This whole we love Albemarle thing fires me up. The messiness and getting our hands dirty in the lives of others is required by love. Jesus modeled this for us. So what are you going to do with that holy passion? Once you figure out what that passion is, what are you going to do with it? I got three quick things and we're going to close. First thing I'm going to say, you need to feed that passion. You need to feed it. When David faced Goliath, he ran towards Goliath. When you feed your passion rather than fleeing from your passion, when you feed it, God will birth new visions in you to be part of the solution. Find the issue, find the passion, and then look for other people who have been fired up by that before. God's been working through people before you showed up. 
don't have the arrogance to think that you're the expert now because you watched a YouTube video or something. And if you've just started following Jesus, find people who you see are feeding their passions and hang around those people. What do you do with your holy passion? You, you feed it. The second thing is you fight for it. Do the hard work and take action. Show up. Volunteer. Be on time. Yeah, some of y'all just woke up. You're like, oh. Be on time when you're fighting and you're working. If the risk is high, then you need a big God. If the risk is high, then you're going to have to put some skin in the game for it. Many people have ideas and they chase dreams, but they fail to think through the mechanics, the execution of how to actually pull it off. The world today is a richer place because of people like Dr. King. He fed and he fought for his holy passion. And be the best and give all that you can give. Colossians 3 says, do everything for the glory of God. Beat it, fight it, and lastly this. And we'll, we'll, we'll close after this. You follow it. You show up and you see the change through. The journey of following what God has placed on your heart is rarely changed first, but it will drastically transform you. Care more about the journey and what's going on than your preference for everything around it. What do I mean by that? Care more about that passion and that justice and that thing from God than your own comfortability. Talked about it last week with the glasses that we put on. Care more about what God is going to do than how you necessarily feel. Now look at that holy passion. Look at that thing that God, you feel God's called you to do. What's the next thing you can do to feed it, to fight it, to follow it through? Here at our church, we have studies, Bible studies, Sunday school studies, outreach events, volunteer opportunities galore for you to feed, fight, and follow your holy passion. But you know what? Inevitably, no matter what our church does, somebody comes up to me and they ask me this question. Pastor, why doesn't this church have, and then fill in the blank. Why doesn't this church have a ministry to euthanize castes and extinguish them from the earth? You know, something wholesome like that. Some of you are like, he stopped doing cat jokes. Oh, no. No, but seriously, people come up to me. Some of you are offended. God's going to heal that in you. They'll come up to me and be like, Pastor, why don't we have a ministry to veterans in our community? Why don't we have a ministry for this? Why don't we have a ministry for that? Why doesn't our church have a ministry that's dedicated just for it? And here's the answer every time, because nobody around here has had the courage to feed, fight, or follow their holy passion in that area. We don't create ministries at this church just because we see great need in the world. We create ministries in this church because people in this church fight, they feed, and they follow their passions. The church is not a consumable or an NGO or a nonprofit for everybody to just eat up and pretend that it doesn't need money and that everything just grows up miraculously. To be the church in Albemarle that shows Christ's love, it's going to take courage for you to step up. So, last time I'm showing you this picture. What are you going to do with this right side of the conversion experience? What are you doing in those tick marks from the cross to the time you see Jesus face to face? I hope that you are provoked by God's Spirit. My prayer for you is that there is a gnawing in you that says, I've 
got to do something about this passion, about this thing. And you know what? If, if you're just starting out, or if you're looking for a way just to get involved in the church, we have this, this app. We talk about it every week. On the bottom of the app, there's this little toolbar. On the far right, there's a sign-up thing. Anything going on here, there's a sign-up for it. Really easy to do. The people that have gone here for years say this to me all the time. I ain't getting no app. I know everything going on at the church, and you don't. Because you don't have the app. I follow you on Facebook. That's good enough. No, it ain't. We can't post everything. And Facebook is more about conversation than it is about a bulletin board anyway. No, I mean, that's the easiest way is to get on the app and to sign up for something and to see what's available. One of the things that we are asking for your help with is that Wednesday night baptism barbecue experience. We need, we need people in this church, to, in order for this to happen, we need people in this church to show up and set up. We need people in this church to show up and help us clean up. We need people in this church to show up and cook. We need people in this church to show up and minister and love the community. If you think that you are capable of doing those things, man, would you sign up? You don't have to do all those things. You can just do one. But the point is to serve and to love. If we get to the end of that week with the, with the kids camp and with the Bible study and all that kind of stuff, but we get to the end of it and we just feel like we had a good event, man, what a waste. Uh, we see an injustice in this community where lots of kids can't go to camp this year because they don't have money, because nobody's cooking for them. Man, over, over the short amount of time, we're throwing, we're throwing our best out. We're bringing in Randy Thompson and Kids Ablaze to come alongside of us and to help manage that whole experience. We're, we, we are going out there and setting up shop for three days at a local school where we like to rail that prayer is not allowed in schools. Guess what? We're doing a whole camp. Shut it. We have the relationship. We're doing a whole camp, y'all. Stop talking about prayer in school and put your butt in a serving capacity on the campus of the school. I'm supposed to do an altar call and I'm ticked right now. Hey, stand with me. We got some kids we're going to dedicate to Jesus here in a minute. But I want to pray for you. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed. If you'll say, Jesus, I want you to use me on the right side of that graph. Jesus, I want you to burn a passion in me to where I, my heart is reaching your heart. If that's you, just hands out in front of you with palms raised upward. In the name of Jesus, I pray his holy passion in your life. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you will not have to question what his Holy Spirit is saying in you. I pray that you will have a clear awareness of what he's wanting you to do and what you're supposed to do next with that. I also think there's some folks in here that say, Nate, when it comes to that, that whole picture, that conversion experience is where I'm at. I, I want the, the, the gospel of Jesus to take root in my life in such a way where I have a new life moving forward. If that's you, all across this room, I need you to just get my attention. I want to pray for you. Wave at me, look at me, I don't care what it is. 
But everybody else has got their eyes closed. We're not trying to point you out, but I wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. Over here at my right, your left. If you say, Nate, that conversion experience, today's the day for me. Maybe it's the day for you again. Just make some eye contact with me or give me a wave. I want to pray with you. Pray for me, Nate. I'm far away from Jesus. All right? How about over here in this other section? Pray for me, Nate. Yeah? Okay. Pray for me. How about over here on your, your right and my left? Pray for me, Nate. I need to follow this Jesus. How about over here on the far right? Nate, pray for me. All right, I, I recognize one person, so we're going to say this prayer together, okay? For this one person. Dear Jesus, you're a Savior. I'm a sinner. I believe that you saved me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And today is my conversion day. I declare your Lord of my life. I declare that I will follow you. New life starts today. Oh God, I pray that your spirit is birthed up and explodes in each one of us. And I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Man, can we give God a hand and thank him for the one person? For the one?